Well, good morning, first of all. Glad you guys are here. Um, Melissa is going to post in the chat a link to a survey. It's just really brief. I think it's three questions maybe about meeting in person for church. So we just kind of wanted to get some input on that. It won't take you very long at all. Complete that really quick. That would be a huge help. And then also ladies, I wanted to invite you to something we're doing on Zoom next Saturday from 10 to noon. It's called Remember God Through This Present Time of Racial Reconciliation. And it's for all of the women in all of our family of churches. And so we had a all, all churches women's retreat planned for March. And um, this same speaker that we were going to have for that will be the speaker for this. Tori Diaz is on staff at the Garland Church, and this is a woman that she's known for a long time that's a good friend of hers and a mentor of hers that is going to speak on this topic. And then there will be a question and answer session at the end. So if you will go to Facebook or if you'll uh, let me know if you haven't seen the invitation to that or the link, it's also been in the Denton North uh, ladies group me and we need you to sign up for that if you're going to if you want to participate and if you could sign up today that would be great and then there's also an email for where you can send any questions that you want to have addressed during the question and answer so that's going to be next saturday from 10 to noon on zoom so if you have any questions you can ask me now or you can text me or whatever um, but we would love for as many women as possible possible to participate in that. Great, great. Well, let's get going. I want to say a prayer and then uh, start us off. God, give us insight into uh, old words uh, that uh, we've forgotten and that we often don't pay attention to. But speak to us through your prophets like you spoke to the original hearers. Amen. So, quite a doozy. Uh, with our title today, <laughs> Ahaz, Assyria, Peka, Resin, bunch of really cool names to name your kids. So Josh, Emily, it's not too late. Um, pretty sweet names there. We're thinking about changing his name to SpongeBob Flamin' Hot Cheetos. Okay. I, I, can, I, can, I can get down with that, I guess. Inspired by the reading, obviously. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, all right, well, we're still a little up in the air on how we are going to do the sermon series. I think maybe what would be better than doing the first four hist uh, historical passages is maybe alternate a historical passage with a modern-day tragedy so that we can kind of pull those principles immediately into application. So most likely next week, we'll go ahead and talk about police brutality uh, based on this passage uh, in Isaiah 7 and 2 Kings 16. If you haven't read it, they're not long. Uh, they're a little difficult to kind of get uh, your bearings. I want to give you just a short history of what's going on. And some of you can remember this from last semester. Some may not. Uh, but there is a, a wind I've been using that term a lot lately, blowing through this, this area, okay? 
for the first time in hundreds of years, uh, both the northern and southern kingdoms are just, well, the northern kingdoms a few years, the southern kingdom um, about 175 years from being completely exiled, meaning taken from their land and uh, put into slavery at worst, indentured servitude at best, uh, in other lands, all right? And so what's so interesting about this time period is nobody knows it's coming. I mean, it's, they are prosperous. They, everything they have is in abundance. Uh, much of that has come because, you know, originally they were obeying God and have taken a turn for the worst in the very blessings that God gave them. In those, those blessings and the abundances, they forgot, as Deuteronomy reminded them, uh, that this doesn't come by your own hands, but comes from God. And so they begin to do what a lot of people do when you have a lot of money and that's hoarding it and um, gaining more money on the backs of people who are actually making the money for you. And so the society that we come into uh, at the beginning of Isaiah is a completely corrupt uh, but prosperous, uh, both in the northern and southern kingdom. Um, and there's some turmoil out to the east. Assyria has been looking to get closer and closer to Egypt, and the two northern uh, empires, that of Israel and that of Syria, are looking to try to keep Assyria at bay. They tried to get the southern king, Ahaz, mixed into their little um, cohort. Ahaz says, is terrified and says no. And in Isaiah 7, that's kind of where we pick up. Uh, Ahaz is terrified because of these two powers from the north that he is, since he's rejected their offer, is afraid will come down and uh, subdue the southern kingdom. Uh, the northern and southern kingdom has split within the last hundred years after King Solomon and kind of gone their own ways, meaning the 11 tribes of the north and then the southern tribe, Judah and um, so a lot of these names are basically just different names for the same nation. And so it's a little bit hard to keep up with. And so if you have something you can write down in terms of notes, you can sort of write down what are some of the different names uh, that are associated with, with each of these kingdoms. And it will help read, you know, you read these a little bit easier. So the story goes like this. Um, Ahaz is afraid. He's terrified. Uh, the prophet Isaiah goes to him and says, don't be terrified. and he says, because these two kings are ultimately smoldering stubs of firewood, <laughs> which is really a great line. There's a lot of great lines in the prophets. Some of them are disgusting, but smoldering stubs of firewood is a pretty good one, right? Like what a, that's some serious shade. Um, that, that's pretty great. You're afraid of these two superpowers, but in reality, their time's passed. And uh, so the prophet says, God wants you to test him so that you uh, know that what he's saying is true. Then what does Ahaz say? No, 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 I don't, I don't want to test God. Seems like a super great way of being a spiritual king. Now we already know from 2 Kings 16 that Ahaz is no, not a good king. He's a terrible king. In fact, he's like basically sacrifices one of his sons to an idol god. Uh, he's just not a good guy. So what's he doing here by saying, well, I'm not going to test God? He's kind of leaving his options open. He doesn't want to write out offend God, but he also kind of already has a plan in mind, which is to go around the nations up to the north and actually invite Assyria 
to help become a vassal state, basically says, I'll become a servant of yours if you'll just save us from those two powers of the North. And so he kind of keeps his options open there. And of course, what happens is, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, Assyria is more than happy, Tiglath Pissar, or whatever you, however you say his name, I mean, come on, who, who knows, uh, comes in, looks at the treasure that Ahaz is offering, and then so the southern kingdom basically hastens the end of the northern kingdom. I mean, they, he invites Assyria in, and Assyria basically takes over the northern kingdom along with, with Syria, puts them in exile, and allows um, you know, uh, the southern kingdom to have kind of a vassal state, which is to say, uh, kind of the same type of state that Israel had under the Roman Empire during Jesus' day. So a couple lessons I want to draw from that. We're trying to bring out principles here that will help us deal with tragedy and, uh, and have hope amidst that tragedy, all right? And so the first, one, the first thing that I want to kind of say here is that, it, that because um, Ahaz leaves all of his options open uh, and doesn't obey God's request to test him, uh, God basically sees that as a rejection. And the, the statement that he makes right after that, um, he sees that completely as a rejection. So many of you are smiling. What am I doing? Do I have a booger on my nose? Does someone put something in the chat? Is there like someone who's naked in the background using the restroom? I mean, what, what is happening here? It's the dog calendar on the wall, for sure. Dog calendar? Okay, whatever. I don't know what you're all smiling about, but I have a TV and I see all of your bright, shining faces. <laughs> this isn't like I have one or two, you know, um, people up on the screen so I can react to you all as you're reacting. So when I see like five or six pockets of smiling, I feel like something deep is going on that I'm missing. Are you guys making fun of Brad behind his back? <laughs> I don't, that's, I, not, that's not okay. Something funny happened, I missed it, but you are going to make people more self-conscious if you call out how they look, Brad, and they're turning their videos off. Oh. Yeah, everybody turn your videos off. You're, yeah, that's why I'm turning mine off. I hate you, Brad. Okay. You're against your, your mission. Everybody turn your videos on, and Brad can't talk about how we look or what we're doing. <laughs> New rule. All right. Well, great start there. That was really helpful uh, as a transition to the, the principal one. No, um, God takes our indifference, our lukewarmness, our hee-hawing, our middle ground perspective. Hee-haw is not the right one, word, right? Uh, what is it? It's hemming and hawing. Yeah, close enough. It's a southern Our hee-hawing is like a farm. Southern version of him and... Or like donkey. A donkey goes hee-haw. Okay, well, anyway. Wow. Right. This I'll is talk a good, strong, strong Sunday here. Uh, we've got... So he takes that as complete rejection. I think this is an important point to make. When we leave our, all of our options open and we sort of see God as one path, one perspective, there's no difference to God than when we're outright rejecting him. In fact, if you take Jesus' words in Revelation to heart where he talks about, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but now I'm going to spit you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm, maybe God at least respects that we are outright rejecting him more than when we pretend to be in the middle. And this is going to come into play when we talk about this first principle, which is when we don't listen to God, we will always listen to the wrong people. Okay. 
And this is one of the, the most important um, principles as we start this whole thing off is when we don't listen to God, we listen to the wrong people. I see a lot of people on social media right now listening to the wrong people, okay? And imitating the wrong way of saying things. And rather than listening to God in God's heart, they're just following along with what everyone else is ultimately saying around them and then just running with. And one day that might be one person, one day it might be God, one day it might be another, but that to God is outright rejection of what it is that he's telling us to do. There's no difference. And in fact, it might be worse uh, than outright rejecting. So in tragedy, okay, we're often desperate for answers, for comfort, for quick resolution, for peace of mind. This is exactly what Ahaz is experiencing. He is terrified. And God telling him that these two strong powers are actually smoldering stubs of firewood just doesn't even register in his mind. No possible way. At least maybe if God would have given him a plan to say, okay, yes, they're powerful. Yes. But we're going to take them down this notch and that notch. And, you know, here's this sort of really um, uh, clear path forward. Then maybe Ahaz would have listened. But because God was so extreme on the other end, because God already knew what was going to happen, already knew uh, what, you know, he could do. Ahaz was just not having any of it. Okay. He was just not willing to take that word. And it's the same for us. When tragic things happen for us, when, when bad things happen, whether it's the current state of affairs with COVID or with, whether uh, it's the protest and things that are going, we want answers, we want comfort, we want quick resolution, we want peace of mind. Um, we keep doing the wrong stuff, just hoping the right stuff will happen. <laughs> So one of the things that I'll give you as an example this week is I am just floored uh, at how many white liberals have just gone to using the exact same tactics as white conservatives to, to berate, to uh, call into question uh, people's, you know, being racist or not racist, their anger, their violence. And none of this to me at all in any way lessens the impact of what's going on now in our society in terms of its importance and timeliness. But what it does is it just shows us that people are people. Without God, they're people. And they'll do exactly what people do. They'll get mad. They'll get violent. They'll get angry. I actually counseled a guy this week who had been called a racist and had posted on Facebook that he was ready to kill himself and was not kidding. And this boy is not a racist. He's ignorant, no doubt. But he is not a racist. But just got tired this week of everybody calling him a racist. Now, is that, you know, near as big of a challenge or uh, as hard of a struggle to go through as what other people are going through when it comes to, you know, their lives being threatened? No, not at all. But at the same time, this is someone who people just decided that he's not important enough to speak in a humanly way against. And that is no different than what people have been doing and saying for a long time. And I think what's so important when we think through particularly this age and this tragedy is that we use God's heart and his words to speak change into our society because that's all that lasts. If we're just jumping on a bandwagon and you know, and, and what's again, what's so interesting to me is it's white liberals doing this. I've seen very few of my black liberal friends speak the kind of hatred and violence towards conservative white people that I have seen uh, white liberals. I don't know. What is this? It's just sort of 
control. I'm going to you know, make sure that I'm seen on the right side of history here, kind of nonsense. Um, but in those moments where we feel some pain, we feel like this needs to be resolved, um, it's not up to us to ultimately try with our own words and own efforts to somehow resolve all of these things immediately and quickly, apart from really trying to figure out where God's voice is, what is he doing, and how is he making some of these changes. Not at all to encourage slowness or gradual, but to be able to really to hear through a lot of these messages that we're getting today, where is God's voice and what is he trying to do and how do I take the principle of who he is and his heart and actually speak into this in a way that matters, in a way that's effective, and in a way that really, really gets to the bottom of the issue, which is treating people as humans with dignity and not just um, trying to get my way or be on the right side or be seen as um, a certain way, but to really affect change that matters. Uh, so what you see in Ahaz's case is because he's not willing to do that, there's this sort of saying that I actually didn't hear but till recently, and that's jumping out of the fryer and into the fire. <laughs> cool. Uh, when we don't listen to God, we things go from bad to worse. And that's what we see with the history of Israel. It's what we certainly see with Ahaz's situation. Ahaz's situation goes from bad to worse as he invites Ahaz, uh, as he invites that uh, Assyrian king into the kingdom, which will ultimately lead to their own exile only 175 years later, later as the Babylonian king then takes over Assyria. And that just happens to be a part of Assyria's um, you know, land and area. And so it's not until some couple hundred years later that finally they receive the salvation from the Babylonian king Cyrus, which we'll talk about at the very end, and that's the kind of the end of, of Isaiah. So how can we possibly have hope in God in the midst of tragedy and uh, oppression? The three questions we want to uh, ask or answer and ask in each of these sessions is, you know, sort of what's the principle that we can learn in tragedy? Uh, how can we possibly have hope in God? And what should we do in response to tragedy and oppression? So how can we possibly have hope in God in the midst of tragedy and oppression? Guys, the most important thing is understanding that to God, there is nothing new under the sun. This movement that all of us are experiencing and seeing as new and different and radically changing, God has experienced this how many hundreds and thousands of times over and over again. And apart from him, this movement will be here today and gone tomorrow. Absolutely. Here today, gone tomorrow. So what does it look like as Christians to make sure we know in, uh, you know, uh, how God is moving here and how to join him to make sure and ensure that we're a part of this lasting? And because I think we all can understand that this is a good thing, but how do we make sure this isn't just simply a join the bandwagon, do something and feel good about ourselves. And then a year later, we're again out of the fryer and into the fire. The situation is actually worse than it was. What does that mean to really join in? And how do we have hope? Well, how do we have hope knowing that God has seen this over and over again? God is the builder and destroyer of nations. He, when he directly gets involved, changes are lasting. Things will happen. And when he's not involved, it's just us playing a bunch of child games here today and gone tomorrow. And so that knowledge, that understanding, that belief is really important, I think, for us to know 
that God does care, that he is working, and for us to figure out how and where and to join in that. It's much easier for us to figure out how people are working and to join in with them. But what's harder is to figure out where God is working in people and to join in with God's people to work. Or God working, as he very much does in Isaiah, through people who aren't a part of his kingdom. And how do we join in with those people? Because uh, when God's involved, he's going to use everything, including the rocks, to accomplish his purpose. Uh, if people aren't willing, that's fine. He'll do uh, what he does through inanimate objects, which is itself an interesting story. So I want to read through Isaiah 8, 11 through 22. If you'll join me in reading that, I'm not going to post it because we post it. We lose getting to see everybody. But it's Isaiah 8. 11 through 22. So this is actually the next passage, right, after the story of Ahaz, and I think it has some kind of general thoughts for us in regard to uh, what do we possibly, how can we have hope in God in the midst of these, this tragedy and oppression? So Isaiah 8, 11 through 22. For thus the Lord spoke to me with mighty power and instructed me not to walk in the way of this people saying, you are not to say it's a conspiracy in regard to all that this people call a conspiracy, and you are not to fear what they fear or be in dread of it. It is the Lord of hosts whom you should regard as holy, and he shall be your fear, and he shall be your dread. Then he shall become a sanctuary. But to both the houses of Israel, a stone to strike and a rock to stumble over, and a snare and a trap for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over them, then they will fall and be broken. Then they will even be snared and caught. Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will await for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will even look eagerly for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Sinai. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spirits who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they not spoke according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. I want to encourage you to spend some time in that passage uh, this next week in your quiet time, because there's a whole lot there to unpack. But I think the most important point of all of this is to say, just because people decide something is important or is necessary, doesn't mean we go along with it. As people of God, we search for what he's actually doing, and we join in with him. Okay? Um, and, uh, and I think that's important. And one way that I would probably suggest in terms of practical application of that, which I think many of you are, are uh, already decently good at, but if not, need to be better at. And I think there's been just a general call uh, for us to hear the voices of Black people in our society. And unfortunately, I think often we look to um, religious voices and we look to um, popular voices, uh, our friends' voices. But I want to challenge you to think about really listening to Black voices in our society. Because I think 
that what's most important are, are sort of two things here. One is that unless you really hear uh, how a black person or black people experience the world around you, you're never really going to understand uh, what's going on right now. Not only from a, a rational perspective, but certainly from uh, an emotional perspective. Number two, and just sort of more practically, uh, one of the most odd things that I think I um, have questions about in our society is why more religious people don't look to the black church and to look to black people in general to inform us about what God is doing. They're far more religious than we are. They pray more. They go to church more. They spend more money in giving. And yet it's so many of us almost have to question, uh, you know, whether or not to believe some of the things that we hear out of people's mouths. It reminds me a whole lot of Christians back when Mitt Romney uh, was running against Obama, that somehow they would choose a Mormon, who most Christians don't even believe are Christian, over Obama just because he was conservative. There's an irony in that that hopefully isn't lost on you. But I think one of the things that we have to be better at uh, when we're listening to the voice of God is to listen and see uh, what it is that he's doing and where he's working. And I think we start, uh, for many of us, being more aware and listening to black voices. Um, I saw on uh, social media this week how many people started praising Willie for the Confederate statue to go down. And (laughs) um, I think that's great. And I'm really excited about that. But I'll remind you of a post that I thought was very, very important. And that is, please do not co-opt yourself into Willie's uh, mission to get the Confederate statue down just because you've said a prayer or gone to a meeting or done something uh, that you think is uh, um, worthy of being able to include yourself in the 20-year-long challenge that he had. Willie and I spent time this week uh, just talking through this and laughing at all of the people who now like him <laughs> or, or social media people who now like him. Uh, And the irony is certainly not lost on him. But it's that kind of, um, I think, of of trying to jump on the bandwagon that often um, makes us feel like we're listening when we're not, in fact, really listening to what God is actually doing. So I have this, I want to kind of randomly put you in breakout sessions to think through this this, um, uh, point here. And uh, so what should we do in response to tragedy and oppression? We need to listen to God not just to God alone, as many of us phrase it, as if God speaks to us directly. Uh, and that sometimes can even be through the scripture. We, we say, well, we just need to read more scripture as if we're not interpreting scripture through our own eyes and through our own experiences and through our own um, you know, miscalculations. What we're really ultimately looking for is the spirit to speak into our hearts as we read scripture, the spirit to speak into our hearts as we talk to people. And so what does that ultimately look like? Uh, It looks like an awareness and I think an invitation um, and maybe a spiritual gift that we've long neglected. And that is to differ between the different spirits um, and really try to uh, hear what it is God is saying. There's one thing that many of us have a difficult time doing. It's uh, differentiating God's voice. Uh, outside of the scripture. And even in the scripture, we have a tough time hearing God's voice. Um, but as Christians, we, we uh, particularly during this time, I think need to regain some sense of what does it mean to really hear God? 
do we know when we're listening um, to God? Uh, and maybe listening is the best part to start with rather than verifying that we're hearing, um, but we're at least trying to listen uh, to what God is saying. So I'm going to put you in random breakout sessions, and I just really want, we'll have probably five or six people just in case there's some bums. Uh, and uh, I really want you just to, to take about five minutes and answer the question, how do we listen for God uh, in others, especially? Uh, most of the words that we read and hear aren't directly from him but that in no way means that God is not speaking. Uh, the spirit knows our hearts and he knows, um, obviously, uh, God and will often speak to us as we read things, as we hear things. Uh, so what does it look like? How do we be active listeners to God uh, as we listen to the things that we're reading, as we listen to what other people are saying? What does that mean for us to really listen uh, for God and other people speaking? Okay, sound good? Is that clear enough? Five minutes, six minutes, random breakout. Here we go. All right, I think everyone's back together, more or less. So let me just make a, a few statements before we have some of these, uh, uh, some of you guys share. And that is, I haven't gone crazy in my theology. Uh, I don't believe that people speak the words of God uh, as the sort of prophet of today. They're not speaking new things uh, or uh, sometimes maybe new ideas, but these things are always based in the word of God that comes to us best seen through Jesus and perfectly seen through Jesus. And so I'm, I'm not at all trying to suggest that somehow we um, hear uh, sort of new, um, completely new ideas or something like that. Uh, this, this is sort of an interesting territory to talk about, but because most of what we hear comes from people around us, the spirit has to work. Uh, or chooses to work through those relationships and through those opportunities to uh, speak truth into our lives. And that's certainly the way that this, the prophets talk about God speaking, talking about how you ought to listen to the words of God through his people and not through uh, the people who are supposedly speaking uh, through God. So I just wanted to clarify that sometimes this can be kind of a tricky theological ground to walk. Um, so I want to hear some of the suggestions you guys have and just kind of speak to the body uh, in encouraging us to really listen during these times to, to hear God's voice uh, and to hear what he wants us to do uh, now. Uh, I'll share. Oh, go ahead, Grant. All righty. Uh, the main thing that came up in our group from just about everyone was uh, humility and uh, yeah specifically seeking out people that you know are probably going to disagree with you that you can have a good conversation with and asking them to um, disagree where they see fit, push back, help you correct and sharpen your thinking, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. Um, something I have tried to practice through like just having hard conversations the past couple of weeks um, and hearing from black people and hearing them say things that are very challenging to me as a white person and, and whatever. But when I, I've tried to practice, like when I hear something and my first instinct is how can I, how can I outline all the ways and how can I find all the ways that this doesn't apply to me specifically? Like how can I find a loophole to where I'm still in the rights where I'm still one of the good ones, one of the good white people who hasn't done any of these things, whatever, um, that that is a sign to me that I need to 
actually be listening. I need to stop that. I'm not hearing. I'm not truly listening. I'm still looking to defend myself. I'm still looking to be right. And I'm not actually hearing with humility, like what is being said and how may it apply to me. And it probably does apply to me. And it probably is supposed to be challenging for me and produce change in me. So like recognizing my own defensiveness and recognizing that's a sign that I'm not actually listening. That's a sign that I'm inter- I'm trying to protect myself rather than really listen and change. Yeah, something really neat that Ryan brought up in our group uh, is that he would ask uh, people what God has been teaching them. And sometimes God would be teaching several people the same thing. And he said that, that and that's a really cool thing because it, y'all are all learning it kind of at the same time and that builds up community. And I thought that was really cool. Another thing that's important for us in hearing the voice of God is that people speak uh, as they're doing the things that God calls them to do. And that's not to say that we can't hear from God using people who aren't a part of his kingdom because we can. But ultimately, I think the richest and um, most important words are from those people who are actually doing the very things that they say uh, in their ideas that they're doing and not that they just have ideas about. Um, I think true wisdom comes from um, doing as God commands us to do, being the people he commands us to be, not just listening to the vernacular, the right words uh, that people use. And I think that can be a very important thing for distinguishing. Um, I think we get that straight again from the prophets of people saying things that don't really match up to the way that they're living. Any closing thoughts before we end? All right. Uh, Well, I encourage you again to go and look through that passage uh, that I mentioned, Isaiah 8. Uh, Those verses, uh, I think they're really, really deep uh, and challenging for us to think through uh, this next week if you are attempting to apply what this means and to really listen to God to speak uh, both, I think, well, not both, but first through you know, the Spirit's uh, guidance in those words uh, that he gives us in Isaiah, and then applying those to how do we really hear uh, God and not listen to the voice of the people, as it were. Um, I want to end with kind of a story, and the story's a little bit out of context, uh, but um, I want to share it because it's kind of been on my heart, and I've missed the opportunity to share it multiple times. One of my favorite passages that's probably one of the most misunderstood passages also in scripture is when Jesus is hanging out with um, some other of his disciples and the Pharisees and the Syrophoenician woman comes and, uh, and asks him to heal her. And in turn, he basically says, we don't give to dogs. Uh, what is the you know, master's portion? And what's so ironic about this passage is that it's often considered a uh, racially insensitive passage, or at least in sort of a nationality-insensitive passage. But if you kind of think about it, just even at a surface level, you realize it's quite the opposite. You know, number one, the you know, Phoenician and Syrian people were much more powerful and much wealthier than the Israelites at that time. And so this would have been a fairly well-to-do person, like the centurion also that comes to Jesus, asking Jesus for help. They often ridicule the Jewish faith, 
uh, and thought of it as superstitious and not in line with the sort of you know newer faith of uh, faiths of the gods and those kinds of things. And of course, people have often, in trying to um, dismiss the story but not actually explain it, uh, called attention to the fact that he uses the word pet instead of dog, which he uses almost everywhere else. But it reminds me of a, a clip from a movie and the Shawshank Redemption uh, where, and I cannot remember the character's names. I'm sorry, I'm terrible with names. You guys know that. Um, but the guy that's innocent, um, help me out here. Andy Dufresne. Thank you. And we did not need his last name. Thank you very much. Uh, Andy has this uh, sort of pretty tough character who wants to learn how to read. And Andy basically just says, uh, I don't work with losers. And the guy's response is, I ain't no loser. And uh, we talked about this actually in our, our intern class, but this is exactly what Jesus is doing to the Syrophoenician woman, woman. And he's doing it in front of the entire audience, sort of setting her up to show that she is much, much more capable and much, much more faithful than even the people around him. Because remember what her response is, is even the dogs eat the scraps from the master's table. And Jesus uses this as an opportunity to commend her on having the greatest faith in Israel, which he only does twice. And I mention that all the time. And they're both for non-Israelites. And not only is this a really interesting story to reflect on, uh, both in um, how we can hear from God in the sense that she was listening to what God was saying uh, through Jesus, which was a test, not just listening to this, what was perceived as an insult but also I think teaches us something about uh, how we can prop up people who other people have um, kind of despised and forgotten about. Uh, even though in this case, Jesus would have been more of the oppressed person in this, uh, this exact uh, situation scenario. So that's just another thing for you to reflect on this week uh, in this time, but the Isaiah passage and this story of the Syrophoenician woman uh, being healed and sort of set up by Jesus uh, for him to say, you have the greatest faith in Israel. Remember, Jesus knew what was in people's hearts. Uh, he very much knew what her response would be. And he gave her the opportunity to show it in front of an audience that uh, had already, before she'd even walked up, dismissed her uh, as just a pagan woman with nothing to offer. Love you guys. Thank you so much for meeting with us as normal. Um, we, uh, again, will probably try in July to at least meet once. Um, but based on that survey, we really, really need you guys to take the survey. So please maybe commit real quick to take it before you log off, because we want to know uh, the likelihood of your attending, how much you think we ought to be uh, in attendance uh, together in July. And uh, that'll really help us make decisions for the coming weeks, both financially and whether or not we should pay to meet. And, uh, and then just uh, sort of practically how we would even set up a meeting that was safe uh, for everybody. So please, please, please take that survey. Thank you, Melissa, for doing Oh, wait. Us. Can I say something real quick? And do you mean, can you interrupt me real quick? Yes. Okay. Um, we need everyone in your household other than children to take that survey. So, because we're going to go based on numbers. So if only like one person in the couple responds, then we won't know how many people actually want to come. So we need everyone in your house to take the survey. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you. See ya, take the survey. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. 
We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.